Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. A good number of the people who watch this show are younger than me. And when you're kind of from like a different generation, I think your ability to sort of understand certain things is kind of obscured a little bit. Let me give you an example. This is sort of a, you know, a weird thing to start with, but I'll tell you how this gets to Georgia football in a moment. Like, think about Mike Tyson. Do you know who Mike Tyson is, the boxer? Now, if you're young, if you have any kind of, like, awareness of Tyson, in his sort of late stage of his, I guess, you know, per, you know, life as a public figure, he's kind of a funny, cartoonish-type person. You know, if you want to go back, like, 20 years or so ago or 15, however long it's been, when he was in the Hangover movie, that was really funny. And ever since then, he's kind of been this sort of cartoonish, funny figure that if he's ever on TV for anything, it's usually some sort of joke or something like that. Uh, and that's kind of what Mike Tyson has been. But for people who are my age, you want to go back to, like, when I was a kid in the 80s, even into the 90s, Mike Tyson was not a joke. Mike Tyson was nothing to laugh at whatsoever. He'd come to the ring as a boxer with a towel cut with a hole cut in the center of it. That was his version of like sort of you know pre-fight attire. He had the 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 the, the boxing boots on and those socks. Uh, he just he was literally the thing that he was often called the baddest man on the planet. That's how Mike Tyson was sort of referred to. That's how he was sort of thought to be. And this, by the way, was true whether Mike Tyson was the boxing champion or not. A lot of you know that at one point in time, Tyson got beat by Buster Douglas. And after that, you know, he had some obviously issues with his personal life and things like that, which, you know, are, are worth noting as a part of his biography, but not really a part of this conversation right now. Um, so, you know, after losing to Buster Douglas, you know, Tyson kind of bounced around here and there. But anytime that he fought, you were fighting the baddest man on the planet. So Buster Douglas may have been the champion. Evander Holyfield may have been the champion. But Tyson still sort of was like, I guess, the people's champ in some respects. He was the most credible fighter for you to beat if you were a boxer. The biggest win you could ever get was a win against Mike Tyson, no matter who the boxing champion might have been. That's just the level of cultural relevance that a guy like Mike Tyson had for people of my era and if you're a little younger than that I think it may be kind of harder to appreciate that now what does any of this have to do with college football I think there's been a version of this going on in college football for a good number of years as well where look in any given year the national champion may be this team maybe that team but it's pretty clear and it pains me to admit this but it is just true it's pretty clear to admit who the kind of baddest team on the planet has been college football's version of what mike tyson used to be it has been alabama there is a reason why beat bama you know we want bama there's a reason why we want bama has been a meme you don't just see it with college football teams you see it with like you know outside of the sport of football teams all over the world kind of we want band with all fans to hold up that sign because it's sort of an example of hey this is the biggest win you could earn and when you think your team is ready to take on bama that's the kind of sign you hold up we want bama that's just kind of what college football has been that you know lsu may have been the national champion or clemson may have been the national champion or if you want to go back you know years ago you know when ohio state won in 2014 or something like that you know there may be various national champions over the course of the last few years but the biggest win you could earn has been against alabama they are viewed to be the baddest team in college football whether they're the actual national champion or not I don't like to admit that as a Georgia fan and someone who likes to kind of you know poke fun at Alabama from time to time and Nick Saban, but it has been true. However, the point that I think we've been trying to make a little bit over the course of this offseason is, while maybe that's been true in the past, 
it may be time for some of that to change now. And the whole idea of we want Bama, that sign that fans hold up, maybe that's a little bit more of a relic of the past than it should be some sort of um, some sort of, you know, you know, example here in the present of, of what the actual conversation of college football is supposed to be. That's why on yesterday's show, we spent so much time talking about Kirk Herbstreit, who's kind of made his appearances, you know, uh, on various shows over the course of this offseason, poorly informed. He says he hasn't really started diving into uh, the college football content, uh, you know, so much yet. Not really quite so sure what he's waiting for. It is, after all, his profession. But but nonetheless, he's, you know, going around and he's doing these various shows, including Pat McAfee. We played that audio for you yesterday. And, you know, Kirk Herbstreit still sort of falling back on that old trope of Alabama's the baddest team on the planet. And Georgia may have won the last two national championships, but it's Alabama who's still the team that has the most credibility in college football. And at one point in time, that was definitely true. But this isn't the same college football that it was just a few years ago. You know, there are years in which Alabama has not won the national championship, but what you have seen in college football over the course of the last 24 months is is that Georgia has won them both. This isn't the situation like it was in 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, when Clemson and Bama were trading championships back and forth. No, this is Georgia winning two straight, something that has not been done at all in the college football playoff era to me it represents and i think to most of you there as well it represents a real sea change in the sport that the idea of we want bama is the kind of thing we used to do back in the old days but the current present tense of college football looks far different now all of that is a setup to say this there was a story this week that kind of got a lot of attention and i think in some respects georgia fans have kind of had and at least in some respects and you can judge me if i'm right about this or not i think that some georgia fans have had the wrong reaction to something that's been in the news this week and i want to show you this i'll show you this on the screen if you're watching on video a tweet referencing a comment in a recent podcast that got a lot of attention about something that jim harbaugh and michigan plan on doing this summer and i, I guess throughout the uh, college football season there as well do we have this uh, tweet here uh so brian fisher uh quotes bruce feldman who goes on a nfl network nfl.com podcast and feldman on this podcast says that michigan this year plans to in addition to having what they call a beat ohio state team period uh, a portion during practice they're focused on being the best they can be in order to beat ohio state their hated rival in addition to doing that brian fisher says that bruce feldman says that michigan also wants to do a quote beat georgia period too and a lot of georgia fans have a big reaction to this and Jim Harbaugh is one of those sort of corny guys that sort of elicits a big reaction. Uh, and a lot of Georgia fans, I think, would rightly say, who is Michigan to say they want to beat Georgia? Because we saw these two teams playing uh, two years ago, and Georgia dragged Michigan up and down that Orange Bowl field. And last year, Michigan couldn't even qualify for the chance to, to play Georgia because the team they lost to lost to Georgia 65-7. to So in the eyes of many Georgia fans, and as I said before, I do sort of get where this is coming from. In the eyes of many Georgia fans, uh, you know, the, the notion that, um, that, that Michigan would now say, we're going to beat Georgia, we're going to go out there, we're going to beat Georgia. That just seems really presumptuous. That just seems really much an example of kind of putting the cart before the horse of, are you really sure you even want to be on the same field as Georgia, given how the last two years worked out? Are you sure you want to beat Georgia? Is that Should you even have the word Georgia in your mouth right now, just given the way it looked the last time your team played Georgia two years ago? And 
on one hand, I sort of understand this a little bit. There's also the thing of the fact that some of this kind of falls into the whole conversation about, you know, what George is supposed to be here in 2023. And as we've kind of pointed out and chronicled over the course of the offseason, some of the prominent voices in this sport have kind of made a case for someone other than George winning the national championship. Kirk Herbstreit, we highlighted, uh, you know, yesterday. Reese Davis is a guy who's gone on podcasts, you know, thus far this offseason, including his own ESPN shows, making the case for this same Michigan team to be number one and not Georgia. And so when Jim Harbaugh kind of is out there with his beat Georgia period, for some Georgia fans, this kind of cycles into that whole well, gosh, who are all these teams that sort of – who are all these folks in college football, including apparently Michigan's Jim Harbaugh, who thinks Georgia is beatable, who thinks that Georgia's going to seed its spot at the top of college football and make way for somebody else to win the national championship, Reese Davis included. In fact, let me let you hear a little bit of Reese Davis this offseason, you know, talking about Georgia trying to three-peat and the idea that a team like Michigan could actually be number one in the country. Here's Reese Davis. They're the most dominant program, certainly the most dominant team in the country, Scott. I mean, that was as brilliant and nearly perfect a performance as as you'll see on a championship stage. And since you were counting up the touchdowns, I'll tell you what happened just behind the camera that I'm looking into right now about five minutes ago. Kirby Smart ran by. There was a pack of dog fans up there still woofing and barking. Sure. And Kirby put up one finger, and then he put up two fingers, and then he put up three fingers. And okay. they, liked, <laughs> they liked that result. So now I tried to get him on the stage to say, hey, we'll see you in Houston next year. He wouldn't go for that, but uh, when he thought nobody was looking, he's ready to count up another one. But <laughs> yeah. it was just a remarkable performance, and they are the standard in the sport. So I'll be total confession here for a minute. That's actually not the clip that I meant to uh, play. Uh, but nonetheless, Reese Davis there was laughing about the idea that uh, 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 Kirby Smart wants to win three straight, wants to do all this kind of stuff. And yet the clip that I meant to play, I just f f forgot to – send it the right way but nonetheless uh the 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 clip that i meant to play later on in this offseason reese davis was on some other show somewhere else saying he was going to rank michigan as his preseason number one team and so for a lot of georgia fans when you hear jim harbaugh saying he wants to beat michigan it kind of ties back or I should say jim harbaugh saying he wants to beat georgia sort of ties back into you know the whole notion of well who are all these folks out there apparently jim harbaugh included who thinks that georgia's beatable but to kind of i guess put a bow in all this as i said before I think a lot of Georgia fans sort of get this wrong a little bit, or maybe even some of the other observers of college football have sort of gotten this wrong a little bit in the fact that actually in this case, if what Bruce Feldman says Jim Harbaugh wants to do is you know, the actual truth, and we have no reason to think it's not, I think that Jim Harbaugh is actually showing the proper amount of respect to Georgia. Because to go back to the thing we said to start the program today, there was a time when the college football meme of the highest you know, thing you could aspire to in college football is we want Bama. There was a time in which Bama was the baddest team on the planet, and we want Bama was your signal that you were ready to kind of step up and play at the highest level possible. Well, that's kind of passe now. That's sort of past tense now. That's sort of, you know, a bygone era now because Georgia has won the last two national championships. So when Michigan and Jim Harbaugh's coach at practice steps up to say, hey, we're going to practice so hard with the idea of beating Georgia in mind, whether Michigan's truly capable or not of doing that, we believe they're not, but whether they're truly capable or not of doing that, the idea they're setting their sights on Georgia is to me the thing we've been asking for all offseason long, that if you want to make the case for another team, you can. If you want to show some interest in another team, you can, whether it be an SEC rival like an LSU or an Alabama or a Big Ten foe like a Michigan or an Ohio State, if you want to talk about someone else and their possibility of contending and competing this year, obviously those opinions are all fair game. 
But if you want to be logically consistent, if you want to be intellectually honest, you have to start from the position of acknowledging Georgia. And the Roman Reigns reference I've used before, his catchphrase of acknowledge me, that if you want to talk about Michigan, you can do it, but acknowledge Georgia first. I know they won the last two national championships, but dot, dot, dot. Ohio State, hey, they came pretty close a year ago. Georgia still won the game. Georgia's also won the last two national championships, dot, dot, dot. That you can talk about anybody you want to, but you've got to acknowledge Georgia first. That's the thing we've been saying all offseason long. Well, in this particular case, that's kind of what Jim Harbaugh is doing. He's saying, hey, if we want to be the best, we got to set our sights on the best. The best is Georgia. Now, deep down, we think if those two teams were to play again, the result would look a lot like it did in 2021, with Michigan having a very hard time keeping up on either side of the ball at any point during the game. We think that's the way it's going to work out. But Harbaugh's quote-unquote beat Georgia period here at practice uh, to us, that sort of kind of represents what college ball should be right now. That if you have any aspiration of being the best, you need to acknowledge the best. And the best is Georgia. So the idea that a team like Michigan wants to beat Georgia, uh, if you're a Georgia fan, you better get used to that. The attention you get after two straight national championships makes you the top dog. It makes you the baddest team on the planet. And anybody who wants to be where you are has to go through you first. And good luck doing that. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Breda Pest Manager. We're happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, but especially for our folks who join us on dognation.com, the Dog Nation app. Those are our own platforms. Especially for those of us who join us there, we start even earlier, 945 for our first and 15. They're on dognation.com, the Dog Nation app. We do that for you each and every day there. We also join in the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref and as a podcast, Apple, Spotify, everything else in between. We're just so happy to have you as a part of our program and so thankful for our friends at Breda Pest Management who make it all possible. And we love having them as part of our show because they are the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics. And that's just kind of cool, right? You know, they take care of all of those UGA athletic facilities, whether it be Sanford Stadium or one of the other spots. They're protecting you from bugs and critters and they're keeping the termites away. And they want to do the same thing for you there too. That's right. You can lean on and trust the same level of expertise and legacy that UGA trusts for its own pest control provisions. You can get that in your own home there as well by making the switch to Breda Pest Management right now. And here's the deal. The benefit that you get from doing that is maybe the thing that probably matters to most of us more than anything else right now. With everything seemingly getting more expensive, um, if you want your cost of service to go down, if you want to put more money back in your pocket just for making the switch, the time now is to do that with our friends at Breda Pest Management. They've been in business since 1975, got 125 employees, and that level of success that kind of has been you know proven out over the course of generation that level of success gives them leverage to provide you the benefit of more money back in your pocket. That's why I wouldn't hesitate to make that switch. So go to the website. It's BredaPest.com. And let, let me spell this for you. You've heard me say it before. B-R-E-D-A. That's B-R-E-D-A. BredaPest.com. Find out why UGA trusts Breda Pest Manager as their official pest control provider and why they ought to be your official pest control provider there as well and get the benefit of more money back in your pocket for making that switch find them online bradapest.com today all right so we have got a lot to do on today's show speaking of potential teams with sort of a mindset of beat georgia 
We're going to talk about one of those here a little bit later on and some positive praise this team is getting ahead of the upcoming season. How much should Georgia fans be aware of this? We'll talk about that uh, here coming up in a little bit. We'll also talk to Jeff Sintel here uh, in a couple of minutes there as well. That is not typically a Wednesday thing for us. Shocking breach of typical protocol here. But nonetheless, I was gone for a couple of days. Uh, we did not have uh, you know live shows for a couple of days. So it's always important to kind of catch up when you get back on the things that have been going on. And right now for us, that means UGA recruiting. So Jeff Sintel to help us do that here in a little bit. We'll talk about, you know, a good number of issues, including what's next for Georgia recruiting as this busy summer rolls on. But as a lead into that, let's go around the doghouse here uh, right now uh, today and kind of preview a little bit of the conversation with Jeff Sintel here in a moment, looking back on some of the stuff that happened last week while I was gone. Meant to kind of get some of this yesterday. Just didn't quite have time to, but Georgia did add two big commitments to its defensive line uh, class in fact let's show you uh those here right now uh let, let me just show you this uh, graphic on the screen here uh kind of nice announcement for both these guys uh quintavious johnson joining in the class and namdi Agbo, uh, excuse me Agboko. i apologize for that uh mispronunciation there but uh georgia going out and adding couple of big defensive linemen to future uh, uh, class here. And uh, in the case of a, a Gokbo, you're talking about a 6'4", 335-pound uh, guy here right now. That's exactly you know what you're looking to see. Look, one of the most important things when it comes to what has made Georgia, Georgia, is that ability to kind of take away the opponent running. And we talked about this before. Now, that's kind of one of the hallmarks of Kirby Smart. It's one of the things that has made him what he is, made the Georgia defense what it is, is that before the fight even begins, Georgia kind of finds a way to take out its opponent, one of its opponent's knees, one of its legs. You know, if man can't stand, he can't fight. Well, the football version of that is that if you can't run the football, if we take that away from you either before the game even begins because you don't even try to run the ball or, you know, during the game, you're not effective running the ball because of the space that exists in front of that defensive line of scrimmage, then the idea of stopping the passing game, which is a lot of what college football has become here in 2023, um, the idea of stopping the passing game then becomes much easier because of how one-dimensional you're for, you're forced your opponent you have forced your opponent to be. It's obviously the big space-eating defensive lineman that give you a chance to do that, and that's clearly what Georgia's kind of chasing down and adding right now. We've talked before about the impact that Trey Scott has had on the uh, Georgia recruiting efforts, and that obviously continued a little bit here over the course of the uh, last week as Georgia kind of sprinkles in those names. In some cases, you're talking about three-star guys and things like that, but when you look at the overall success that Georgia has had, very few programs have recruited more former four- and five-star recruits than what Georgia has brought in. But when Georgia has chosen to identify one of those three-star names, oftentimes these become diamond-in-the-rough type players. After all, the gold standard of that along the defensive line is Jordan Davis, someone that Georgia recognized. A lot of folks kind of thought Davis would be an offensive lineman, uh, but Georgia saw the athleticism necessary to be a defensive lineman. They saw the imagination of what he could be slimmed down, you know, not not quite as heavy as he originally had been and what he could turn into in a, in a Georgia uniform and obviously the result spoke for itself an Outland Trophy winner uh, a, a Nagurski Award winner truly one of the best players in the country and one of the most dynamic Georgia players over the course of this two-year run of national championships that's the kind of thing that Georgia's identified along the defensive line and that's obviously the blueprint this program has in place as it looks to add more guys and to a future Georgia teams they are so busy on the recruiting trail over the course of the last couple of days I want to make sure we took a minute to sort of mention that there around the doghouse here today so that is around the doghouse this is dog nation daily presented by Breda Pass Management 
Very happy to have Jeff Sintel getting ready to make a Wednesday appearance here with us because we did some of the Dylan Riolda Buford stuff with Connor Riley yesterday. I don't know that Jeff Sintel was on video talking about this himself uh, a few days ago. Want to do some more of that here today from Jeff's perspective, specifically what Riolda means here uh, to Georgia here this year, but also what Georgia has added to this defensive line class. And with all eyes kind of being set here, as you kind of turn into a July situation where a lot of the official visits have been taking place, a lot of the stuff that's been kind going down there you know what does this start to show up and look like in terms of some of the big anticipated commitment announcements some of the things that are expected to go down with all of that Jeff's Intel going to give us a lot of information on that here today as you know we kind of expected this summertime to be as busy and as fruitful as it sort of turned out to be obviously the official visits were you know every bit what they were kind of thought to be and now you sort of set up to do uh, now a series of time here in July, moving into August when all of these senior seasons get ready to begin, where obviously all of that gets ready to go down. And we're obviously watching that very closely. So Jeff Sintel on all of that today here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pass Manager. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Great to have Jeff Sintel here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Braided Pass Management, literally on any day, but especially on a day like this, a Wednesday, coming off some time in which I've been kind of away from live shows. A lot has gone on with UGA recruiting, the need to sort of pick up the piece and sort of figure out all of that, obviously very important. So Jeff, thanks for being here. Appreciate your time on a day that's not typically reserved uh, for you in recruiting, although we'll see you on video tonight before the Hedge is presented by Kroger. Hope you are doing well. We appreciate your time on today's show. Hey Brandon, man, great. You know what I'll you know what I'll do since you guys uh, had the impromptu break in your show. I uh, I'll share what I was on the phone. I was on the phone with Nair Daniels, pretty big Georgia wow. target, uh, set to commit on July the fourth. And uh, Brandon, dude is six eight every bit and three seventy. And you watch his film, and you're like, man, he moves so well. Like I was telling the young man just a minute ago, I was like, man. If you get down to 330, 340, where the coaches and recruiters want you, he'll look like a Ferrari out there, man. Like, he is he is getting after it. Um, he's down to Final Four. He's got Rutgers, Texas, FSU, and the Dogs. And he's going to make his decision on July 4th. And uh, certainly a guy we need to follow. Certainly a guy, a name of uh, that Georgia fans really need to know. Well, I certainly appreciate you meticulously covering all of that. And... I guess as before you join us, we also took some time to mention a couple of defensive line commits that Georgia added uh, last week, and I just wanted to kind of do due diligence on this. You know, speaking of uh, big guys, you know, talking about you know some good size here, there as well. What did Georgia add to its defensive line room here over the course of the last couple of days? Yeah, well, first of all, um, you know, there was a battle there for an in-state prospect, uh, Michael Burrow, that uh, Florida got got it there. They had to, they had a enough of a package, enough of an opportunity there where they took the really talented uh, nose out of Creekside. And Georgia basically had another guy they really wanted, Namandi Alboco uh, out of North Carolina. Everybody loves North Carolina. D-tackles, everybody's going to give. I know Georgia fans will give a little bit more patience than any defensive tackle that Trey Scott likes to begin with. But when they're coming out of North Carolina, Georgia's had a really good track record there uh, in the past. And you know, he's a guy that hasn't been playing football a whole lot. He's a bas- been a basketball player, um, one of those guys. And, 
You know, Brandon, the name that's fresh on my mind is Quintavious Johnson Jr. Yeah. Because I, I, I had to go see him for myself. You know, a lot of reports have him at like 240, 235. Folks that really know his story know that he used to be a quarterback. But, Brandon, I had to go see it for myself. And 6'5", 256, and I really think the dog's got one there. I know superficially a lot of folks look at the rankings, Brandon, but I mean, he could go play quarterback right now in a game if he needed to. He tore up the Georgia Tech 7-on-7 this summer going 13 out of 16 for six touchdowns. And Tech even asked about him as a quarterback. But this is a guy you want to look like. Brandon, sometimes it seems unfair that the dogs can go get a guy when they have so many NFL bodies and, you know, names like Justin Green and Williams Winery and Justin Scott and all the household names that they're tracking. And then they go find the guy at Mays High School, 6'5", 256. Brandon can still throw a football 60 yards. And he looks like a pure athlete, like not even a biscuit of body fat on his body. We have some video of that up on dognation.com, and you'll hear more from him tonight. But I really think with Quintavious Johnson, Jr., that's a guy. You give him two, three years of development, you get him at that Georgia training table, and you get him developing against the Georgia offensive lines of the future, and the dogs will really have something there, Brandon. It's an easy comparison to look at that guy and compare him to, like, the most impressive defensive line bodies Georgia has ever recruited, guys like Jermaine Johnson. And he really could play anything from a four-eye out there to a nine at Georgia. And I think the, the dogs really caught lightning in a bottle with that guy. I'll also say this, and that has nothing to do with how good of a football player he is, but for my money, the program that he plays for right now, Mays, best helmets in high school football, I believe. The Mays helmets are awesome. Definitely like that powder blue. Got that color scheme going great. Yeah, I, I think that's a uh, very, very sharp look. So it's been busy June official visits, now kind of leading into a period moving towards July where I think a lot of Georgia fans are on guard for a lot of commitments. There's potentially an announcement on Friday that's got a lot of Georgia fans' uh, attention here, but also some more kind of, uh, I guess, uh, you know, blooms coming on the roses of some of the visits that have been taking place here a little bit there as well. So kind of give me that snapshot of sort of what you think is next here for Georgia recruiting. Uh, decisions worth following timelines that are starting to come to an end here you know what can we expect to see kind of happen in July uh, or as we move towards July based on what we've all been observing here during June I think this is like what we've determined Brandon is like recruiting in evaluation season well evaluation season now for Georgia is like January to May and then recruiting season is really June when all the officials come in and July is basically commitment season for the dogs. That's when they want to get up a lot of the hay in the barn, and it sounds crazy with 21 public commitments. I don't think the dogs have room for maybe eight or nine more. They might get three or four this month at the minimum, Brandon, with a lot of names about to pop. And I think the biggest thing is Georgia's going to know where its offensive line room is. Stacey Searles is trying to get a lot like Todd Hartley and have all his homework done by the time fall practice rolls around. And, there are three names. We mentioned Nair Daniels on July 4th. You've got, you know, Michael Ooney, who just took his official visit to Georgia this weekend. You mentioned him. He's set to make his decision on June the 30th. There's Marquez, Big Kez, Easley on July the 8th. And, Brandon, if he, did, if he does end up becoming a dog, you'd love that because he drops the top three that doesn't include the dogs in there. Sure. And then it, maybe if it's the dogs, they come out of the blue, like somebody from your pra- favorite pro wrestling memories of a guy coming in, coming in, coming into the ring, running down the alley, 
um, from backstage. Um, there's a lot of work left to do on the offensive line class. Georgia has been known, some of the reporting we've uncovered. They currently have two commitments. There's one silent. There's names like Daniel Calhoun. Could he pop in July? There's names like K.J. Bolden. I think that's the one everybody's looking at right now, probably the biggest uh, target with some strong Georgia ties that could commit this summer. Uh, those are kind of the names everybody wants to see what's happening. And really the other major storyline for June, Brandon, is you see two things. One, you see a lot of commitments ready to come. I think Carter Nelson's coming tomorrow, coming today, uh, leaning towards Nebraska there, the talented tied in. You've got um, C.J. Jackson, a talented edge out of Tucker, who just committed to Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech's doing some good work here. But the other thing is Georgia's playing defense on a lot of its commitment. I know it makes folks nervous to see K.J. Bolden and Peyton Woodyard and uh, Ellis Robinson the fourth all posing for pictures together in Tuscaloosa, much less trips to Ohio State for Bolden and Woodyard as well. I think that's maybe a lot of what Georgia's doing with its number one class potentially could be the best secondary Kirby Smart will ever have um, come 2025, come 2026. But right now, a lot of Georgia's number one ranked class, 21 guys in the fold, they're trying to have to kind of play defense and hunker down to make sure those solid commitments remain solid. So I guess that leads us into a K.J. Bolden discussion here for a moment where, you know, we saw him take the visit to Ohio State. There's obviously a family tie there. We knew he had the Alabama visit, you know, up and coming there. I mean, you know, how much should Georgia fans, A, you get the impression that some fans feel pretty confident he still ends up in the Georgia class. How justified is that confidence? Or if you're a Georgia fan who kind of worries about, you know, another one of these sort of Buford prospects slipping away. And by the way, we'll get to Dylan Riola's role in all this in a moment. But um, if you're that Georgia fan who takes the more, like, I guess, negative bent on this of, oh, here you go again, another one of these Buford guys getting away, like, like how justified is a viewpoint on that? Like, where do things stand with K.J. Bold and the five-star from Buford here at the moment? Good question, Brandon. I think, and I know I know, folks want to view this a certain way, but remember how we always say, let's stick to our, let's stick to our check downs. Let's stick to our keys. And, Brandon, you've got to fundamentally look at all those visits to Georgia. I believe that number's up to 15 now. And if, if Ohio State can do it on four or five visits, if Alabama can do it on four or five visits, then, you know, Georgia really wasn't going to be a place for K.J. Bolden anyway. I think with K.J., there's a long-term, two- or three-year connection to Georgia. It's one of those recruits that Kirby Smart has personally recruited in his class. Um, lots of things, lots of reasons why he would love Georgia. Um, I just really think with K.J., that's a guy that fits Georgia really well. I don't know if you saw this while you were basking in some Caribbean sun, Brandon, but I, I like the Instagram story post from Malachi Starks on that picture of Ellis Robinson, Peyton Woodyard, and K.J. Bolden that were in Tuscaloosa in the Alabama attire. And he put a dog emoji over the heads of all three of those guys. And, you know, Malachi and K.J. would be a scary secondary for Georgia, the range, the speed, the athleticism. Um, and you got to just look at Georgia and think about those 14, 15 visits. The guy keeps coming back for a reason, and that's why I think Georgia has really built a solid foundation. And these visits are supposed to be important, and these visits are supposed to make recruits think. And, heck, maybe K.J. even takes an official visit to Auburn down the road if he commits in July. But i got to think that the dogs have done all they can there with K.J. Bolden 
and he's liked Georgia a lot for a very long time. So I know we heard some thoughts from you last week on the move of Dylan Riola. This was not unanticipated. You and I even talked about this on our show three weeks ago or something like that. I mean, this has been kind of out there for a while uh, that he very likely would end up at Buford. It became official right before I left to go on my uh, Royal Caribbean cruise vacation this past weekend. But let's you and I talk about this here for a moment. From my perspective, Jeff, there is very little downside to this. And like the one thing that I want to stand on the table about is, is I want football players to play. Like I don't want guys because if, if it seems like right now for a lot of reasons, you know, it's become a little bit more in vogue for a for a football player to not play high school football play, not not play high school football. We see we see you know uh, reclassifications and things like that. You know, we see going back to the pandemic, we had opt outs like. We've had more examples the last couple of years of elite football players just not playing the end of their high school football career, and I just don't think that's a good thing, Jeff. You know, the idea that Dylan Raiola was facing the potential of missing five games in his senior season out in Arizona because of the rules in place in that state for transfers and whatnot, uh, the fact that he chose voluntarily to enter into a more competitive situation here in Georgia where he's going to be battling against good players at practice every day, but also battling against great teams on Friday nights. Jeff, I feel like we get a chance to learn more about Raiola. I think Raiola gets a chance to learn more about himself. I just think from an entertainment standpoint, it's a no-brainer. From a preparation standpoint, this obviously, I believe, aids him. Uh, I said yesterday, I believe the, di- the, the difference between Arizona high school football and Georgia high school football is wider than the gap in perception between the SEC and the Pac-12. That it's just a, you know, to use a Jim Ross phrase here, it's just an example of business picking up a very, very different weight class that uh, Dylan Ryan was entered into, and I don't see any downside about any of it. What is your personal thought on Dylan Ryan now being in the state of Georgia? Yeah, Brandon, that's a lot of good stuff there you said. Uh, my fundamental thing, you know, I guess I'm old school in a lot of ways, but not, not in this way, because the big narrative out there folks want folks want to point out is he's been to so many schools in so many years, and I don't even know if you can really count Pinnacle because he was only there for three months, three or four months. He never participated on the team. He never started a game. And every move he's made has been in the benefit of playing. There's no potential about it, Brandon. I have solid, hard reporting information that he was going to catch a five-game suspension. The hardship appeal that they were going to go through wasn't really going to hold water. So he was not going to play five games. So the most important thing to do, like you said, is to play and is to develop, and for him, playing Georgia high school football, Buford High, does not get any tougher than that, does not get any better than that. It's going to make him better. He wants to be at every Georgia home game. It's going to make it easier to do that without catching time zones and red eyes. And he also wants to be there. This is not a move just for six, six weeks or six months for Dylan Ryle and his family. He's got a younger brother, Dayton, that's a 2026 quarterback. He wants to develop. The family wants to see Dylan play at Georgia. And the way you get better playing football is you play against the best competition you can face. That's one of the core principles of Georgia that they sell to recruits. And I, I, I get it how people will say so many schools in so many years, but this is not a guy chasing anything or fighting anything. All of his moves make sense from a family development standpoint. Man, the first move was because of COVID. He wanted to play football. And he wanted to play football under the guise and training of a former NFL QB and John Kitna. His sister was actually at TCU for her freshman year at TCU in volleyball. They wanted to be around family. The second move is they wanted to come back to Arizona. 
to be around family. These moves, they're all making Dylan Raiola better. And from a Georgia fan's perspective, they're all making Georgia better because Dylan Raiola will be more battle-tested and ready to play at Georgia when he enrolls in January. He'll be able to recruit more for the class on a whim if a five-star receiver comes in. Uh, Dylan Raiola can make it easy. I think it's one hour and four minutes away from his door to the doors of Buttsmere and the Payne Hall, the House of Payne. So a lot of win-wins, man, everywhere you look at it. Let me do two quick things on this, then we'll let you go here today. And you mentioned the the stuff that Riley can do from a recruiting standpoint. I'll finish with that. Prior to that, though, expectations for him as a player, because I think for some Georgia fans, they hear number one player in the country, five-star quarterback. He's going to come into Georgia, and I think a lot of folks are going to expect that he's just going to like – just light the entire state on fire, but I would caution against that, and I don't have any reason to believe that Ryle is any less of a prospect than he's been touted to be. You have seen him with your own eyes. You can certainly attest to that. But, Jeff, this is not going to be an easy slate of action for him. This is a Buford team in 7A a year ago that did not win the state championship, didn't even advance, you know, what, past the second round, lost to a, a, a Walton, obviously, that that this is a real challenge for him. And we're going to see plenty of great moments from Ryle here in Georgia, I expect, because he is, I believe, a great prospect. But if typical form holds, even five stars struggle against Georgia competition at times, my guess is we probably see some of that too. So help me set realistic expectations for what it's going to look like watching Dylan play against talent here in this state. Yeah, that's a good question. I think I'm going to call this a level set portion of the show, a level set Wednesday, if you will. Folks, you got to remember this. The recruiting sites don't tell you this. The rankings don't screen this. But you know the first pass that Dylan Raiola ever threw in a game was a JV game in the ninth grade? He has two seasons of varsity football under his belt at the game's hardest position. And I think what this does, another level set, folks, we got to stop looking at five stars thinking they're going to come in and they're going to elevate, they're going to enhance, they're going to be the reason why the dogs win. That's a narrative that's about three or four years old. Five stars are no longer supposed to play at Georgia. If five stars start right away and set the world on fire, then they might be college football All-American, college football Hall of Fame potential because the dogs are so deep with bigger, faster, stronger, more well-versed in the scheme players that these five stars aren't supposed to play. I think this experiment or this move with him in Georgia I think if this really accelerates his opportunity to play early because the speed of the game is probably two clicks faster in Georgia than it is in Arizona. It's definitely two clicks faster at Buford High School with that national schedule they'll face and that tough Gwinnett County schedule they'll face. It's going to, it's going to baptize him and what he's going to need to do and show to be able to play early at Georgia. And let's face it, I think I've said this on your program a lot, the first year for quarterback at Georgia is psychological warfare. Those players, that scheme, that structure, the speed at which the dogs practice at and perform at, the, the mandates that are there on the quarterback chair, the quarterback position, it's supposed to break you. It's, we've seen struggles from guys like Brock Vandegrift, struggles from Carson Beck, struggles from a lot of guys, Jacob Eason, Jake Fromm, where there's a lot there for, to overcome in Georgia now has its healthiest quarterback room it's ever had, and for Dylan Raiola to come in and expect to start grabbing first-team snaps. I think that's not plausible, uh, especially his first year, considering, again, this is a guy that's rated the number one quarterback prospect in the country, Brandon. The word is prospect. That prospect means what he's going to look like for the NFL draft in three years. 
it's not the number one quarterback thrower right now, the number one quarterback player of the position right now. While Raiola is very close to the top of the food chain in those marks, I think he's got a lot of upside to get to. He's got that pro body. He's got that pro arm. And I think practicing and playing against Georgia, here's a hot take for you, Brandon. I think Dylan Raiola needs Georgia, that environment, that development, that crucible, that melting pot, as much as anything is Georgia needing him to take big snaps for for the dogs in 25 and 26. I think the road to being a first-round draft pick, the road to being a number one overall draft pick, is through practicing and competing and grinding against that defense full of future first-rounders for three or four years. And that's the best chance for Dylan Raiola's development as a quarterback. All right, very quick, because we've kept you long here, and we appreciate your time on a Wednesday. How about the impact that Dylan can make on recruiting? Because obviously you pay attention to guys like K.J. Bolden or Edric Houston as part of the class of 2024, but there are also plenty of guys in the 2025 and 2026 classes at Buford that have offers from Georgia or just a chance to rub elbows with you know other guys just around the state, you know, in that Gwinnett County area in particular, that he'll just see more frequently now because of the fact that he is in this state. What kind of impact do you think that Riola's presence here in Georgia has on UJ recruiting in this and, and future classes? So here's another one, Brad, another good take. I think a lot of folks looked at Riola and they thought that automatically means one or two quarterbacks are connected to him and they're going to – one or two wide receivers, excuse me, are connected to him and they are, they're going to go play for Georgia now. It's going to be a three-foot putt. Hasn't been the case, whether it's NIL, whether it's playing time, whether it's you know something else for personal five-star receiver preference. I think what it does, to be clear – is it gives Georgia credentials and chops. And what I mean by that was the number one quarterback with an NFL first-round draft pick prospect, that means Georgia's going to throw the ball. That means Georgia's going to put the ball in Dylan Riola's hands a lot to make the thing go. And that's going to certify the passing game as a real strength for Georgia for years to come. I think that's important. I think, you know, Georgia's going to win. Everybody knows Georgia's going to win. And there's always going to be that defensive tweak or that defensive DNA of the program. All the defensive players I talk to still say they still love the fact that the defensive coordinator background is in Kirby Smart's blood, and that's why they want to come play for him. But now, with a future first-rounder quarterback, I think it balances out the appeal to a lot of recruits. A lot of tight ends, a lot of offensive linemen want to block for Riola, protect Riola. I think that matters the most here is it gives Georgia credentials. It gives it chops to know that the dogs are going to be bona fide throwing the ball as well, along with, along with everything else that they do very well. Jeff, great stuff. I appreciate it. Fun to talk to you on a Wednesday. Great to get this information out tonight. Before the Edge is presented by Kroger, you've got a lot more, including previewing you know, some preview announce, uh, announcements for some offensive line commits, uh, potential commits, and things like that. You've got it all covered for us there at Dog Nation. We appreciate that. We'll watch you tonight on Before the Hedges and talk to you again here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Braided Pest Management very soon. Hey, Brandon, glad to have you back, buddy. Happy Wednesday. You too, Jeff. Thanks a lot. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, fun to get that information from Jeff. And obviously fun to kind of watch where all this goes from here because as we said you know uh, you know june busy because all the official visits july its own kind of busy and we're not quite to july yet but july its own kind of busy where a lot of guys want to get those announcements squared away the entire recruiting calendar just sort of changed where you know everything is kind of moved up where guys want to do their uh 
deliberations during the summer in many cases get it kind of settled uh, before they go into their senior year there are a few guys who obviously want to take it all the way to the end of the process because you know they want every you know possible advantage coming their way you know for making that decision but obviously a lot of that action going to be taking place here right now and it's also fun to think about the chances of watching these guys playing you know whether it be you know a guy like Ryla now in the state or just wherever you know uh watching players play and seeing some of the evidence of why it is that uh, a lot of these recruits have gotten the attention from guys like Jeff Centel. That's what makes the the fall time of year fun for the high school football part of all this. So really good stuff with Jeff Centel on all of that. Now, as that said, let's go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of our friends at Royal Caribbean. I know that Jeff Centel is much like me in one very important respect. Jeff loves taking Royal Caribbean Cruise Vacation. He's taken a great handful of those. I was on board Independence of the Seas this past weekend, and it just reminds me of all the fun we had back in April when our Dog Nation cruise also took place on Independence of the Sea. But as many of you know, we made this announcement just prior to me leaving. I've been kind of hyping this up here a little bit. In April of 2024, the Dog Nation cruise gets bigger and better than it's ever been before. We're going to be on board Allure of the Seas. And this is an amazing thing. For the very first time ever, Royal Caribbean at Port Canaveral, which is the port that's probably closest to us here, easy to drive to, you know, just down the road from Orlando. You're basically there. You can get in the car and get there pretty easy from where I'm sitting here in the Atlanta area. And for the first time ever, at, out of Port Canaveral, Royal Caribbean is going to be offering these shorter sailings, the three and the four night sailings, the kind of thing that's convenient. If you've got a lot going on and kind of busy. Um, for the first time ever, those who are taking these three and four night sailings get a chance to take advantage of all the stuff that you can do on board an Oasis class ship, largest class of ships at sea right now. And Allure of the Seas is going to be the ship that we're on for our Dog Nation cruise coming up in April. Y'all, I'm not kidding when I say bigger and better than it's ever been before. And I've been amazed. It, it really has been amazing the response that we've had to the dog nation cruise thus far which thrills me because it means the word of mouth that we've participated in is working the the the, the event we put on the word of mouth that people have had about that it's just gratifying to know that people are enjoying it as much as i thought that they would because our bookings for this already have just been enormous and it's great to see we have limited space because the ships are selling out you know this day and age all of these Royal Caribbean ships are basically selling out for every single sailing. So this is one of those things where you have, you know, kind of a limited block of rooms that we can get for our people. And then after that, it's just essentially gone. So it is not too early to start thinking about cruise travel next spring, April of 2024. The Dog Nation cruise on board Allure of the Seas, also going to Perfect Day, Coco Cay, and Nassau in the Bahamas. Special Dog Nation events, including some brand new Dog Nation events, which in keeping with the theme, also expect to be bigger and better than they've ever been before so jessica slater is our travel agent she helps us with this you can call her 770-718-9147 that's 770-718-9147 you can also visit royaldogs.com to find out more about this today there as well that's the website that she's put together royaldogs.com make sure you check that out and you can find out all the information you need to know about the dog nation cruise taking place april of 2024 all right with that said let's go cruise around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and I want to take a minute to mention, you know, we started the show today by talking about the idea that Michigan wants to beat Georgia. That's been kind of their plan here. And as I said at the time, that's one of those things where if you're a Georgia fan, I think you just sort of have to get a little bit 
expecting of that, that teams are going to want to set their sights on Georgia and teams want to measure themselves in comparison to Georgia. The way at one point in time they may have wanted to measure themselves against someone else, there is no doubt who the class of college football is right now. And so if you're a Georgia fan, and I'm sure we'll spend plenty of time talking about this in the future, but if you're a Georgia fan, you're also left to wonder, okay, well, of those potential contenders, of those teams that want to consider themselves threats to the dominance that Georgia's shown, you know, who is worthy of kind of taking a second look at? One of the teams I've talked about a good bit here over the course of this offseason is LSU. And I think the, the narrative arc of LSU has been a little bit interesting in that if you want to go back to the early part of the calendar year, I don't think LSU was properly considered. Now, that has changed somewhat in the last few months to the point where our buddy Connor Riley told us, I guess it was last week, that he thought that LSU was getting too much attention. Whether that's true now or not, I don't know. But I think the two things have happened over the course of the last few months to kind of bring LSU more to the forefront than they otherwise would have been. One of those things is the chief competition that LSU faced in the SEC West, Alabama. I think there's been a vantage point looking in on Alabama where their spring practice, eh, well, I don't know that it was all that stellar. Certainly did not resolve the quarterback situation really at all. You bring in Tyler Buckner, who may have been the third string guy at Notre Dame to compete with Jalen Milrow and Ty Simpson. It seems like now the whispers and the chatter coming out of Tuscaloosa is the guy Jalen Milrow, who Alabama fans saw a year ago and were underwhelmed by, that he may be the starting quarterback here this year. And so I think that's caused some people to think that they were kind of naturally anticipating an Alabama bounce back after two losses a season ago. Well, if the quarterback situation isn't resolved any more than that, and it's clearly a downgrade from where Bryce Young would have had this program playing the last couple of years, in that case, there was sort of a reconsidering of LSU because of that. The other thing that has gone on with LSU is, is I think people are also looking to see what LSU has added in the transfer portal. I saw a list at CBSSports.com the other day of the units in the country most likely to kind of see a big level of improvement here this season and one of the units that got mentioned was the LSU defense and the writer of the piece one of the things that he noticed uh, noted was that LSU is bringing in 14 transfers for the upcoming season which is you know Georgia brings in far less than that but 14 is not out of line comparison in comparison to what some other programs are bringing in but in LSU's case they're bringing 11 of these 14 players on defense on defense and 10 of those are like either defensive linemen or 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 secondary type guys so pretty clearly the transfer portal here being used to boost LSU's overall defensive depth that's kind of the the plan here that's kind of the goal here uh they're looking to to boost that now we have certainly seen some evidence the last couple of years that if you want to completely change the fortunes of your program uh the transfer portal may not be the best overall path to do that but if you're looking to sort of add depth you know kind of you know provide a little bit of a boost in terms of the total number of capable players you have in your roster the transfer portal might not be a bad you know kind of method on that so overall I'm not going to wildly change my opinion of any team in the base of the transfer portal, but a team in LSU that was already pretty good a year ago, adding more veteran seasoned players, capable bodies into its defense, that may be a good thing. The best thing for LSU, though, is the return of a guy like Mason Smith, defensive lineman who dealt with injury, him being back fully healthy. That may be the kind of thing that probably improves the fortunes of LSU more than anything else. But just pay attention to this. LSU team that's already pretty good, very active in the transfer portal there as well. We typically see big boosts at times from second-year coaches. That's what Brian Kelly is. I told you last week, I believe that LSU will be a playoff team. I believe they'll join Georgia as the second team in the SEC to make this year's college football playoff. And I think 
for a while, folks were a little slow to recognize that, but they seem to be kind of coming around on that a little bit now, which I do believe is the correct opinion. Also, on a very different note, incredibly sad news, Ryan Mallett, who many of you will remember uh, as a former Arkansas quarterback, had kind of a nice game against Georgia, I guess going back to what, 2010, I guess that would have been. Very athletic, tall guy, ran very well, just a really sharp-looking dude at the quarterback position. Horrible news here, passed away. Only 35 years old, I guess the reports are that he drowned. Uh, incredibly sad. And I saw this last night, some of y'all kind of the same way. You're like going around, you're sort of doing whatever, and you sort of see this news and gosh you're just I mean just way too young for a guy that you know we're not Arkansas fans here but we watch SEC football you know every single Saturday and all these players that play in this league you feel a certain kinship with them just because you spend so much time watching them on TV Ryan's not a guy that I knew personally but boy you felt like you did as much as you watch these guys play on television and just incredibly sad just gone way too soon a little bit of a punch in the gut last night to see that story come across. I'm sure many of you had the same reaction. So prayers to the Arkansas football family, obviously Mallet's family in particular here. Ugh, just, just you know, no no easy way to say it other than just incredibly, incredibly sad news. And so we'll make that cruise around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Here on Wednesdays, awkward transition here, but here on Wednesdays, we also love to give a shout out to our friends at the Finnish Long Drink there as well. And obviously, we're moving towards a 4th of July weekend type thing. Everybody having fun. Everybody uh, getting ready to have the cookouts and all the fun stuff that goes along with that. And as one of our golden shoes uh, mentioned yesterday, when you're doing all of that, when you're grilling out the steaks, when you're out, you know, hanging by the pool, whatever you got going on, a nice ice cold cooler full of that finished long drink is a great way to enjoy all of that in fact if you go to the longdrink.com here's what not right what you can find the four different varieties of the finished long drink the cranberry the long drink strong which is eight and a half percent alcohol by volume long drink zero no carbs no sugar a lot of you want to look good here to this bathing suit time of the year me eh, i'm sort of okay with how i am but some of you want to be you know sharp and svelte and i get all that if you want to do that the long drink zero no carbs no sugar that's a great way to do all of that i like the traditional it's the blue can it's got the grapefruit flavor it's the gin kick it's just kind of to me i'm sort of the classic flavor type guy and to me for whatever reason the grapefruit and gin combination there the finished long drink is to me the classic flavor and i'm generally speaking i'm kind of going to lean classic flavor and to me the long drink traditional that's kind of the classic flavor there with the grapefruit fruit flavor the gin kick if you like mixed drinks this is a mixed drink you don't have to mix yourself it's a ready to drink cocktail right there in the can so go to the longdrink.com find out where you can pick some up literally it's just about everywhere now so you know uh when we first started talking about the long drink uh, a couple of years ago i think some folks were you know not quite so sure what it was or you know not quite so sure how to find it well now i mean rarely do i go anywhere seemingly that doesn't have the finished long drink especially golf courses and bars in my area it just it's it's very easy to find very fun to drink great to enjoy this time of year so make sure you check out the finish long drink today now speaking of enjoying some fun time outside which we like to do this time of year I had a chance to do that last night. In fact, I had a chance to do that with a good uh, friend of Dog Nation's there as well. Our buddy Chase from uh, Seven Six Apparel. You know uh, them, the great T-shirts the, they make that celebrate all kinds of cool things happening around sports in the uh, state of Georgia. Well, uh, Chase and his family joined us last night, uh, a couple of the Dog Nation folks on hand, for a fun night at the Atlanta Braves. Let me show you this picture here on the screen. Uh, good to see Chase decked out in his Braves gear. Uh, me there as well uh, appreciate our friends 
our, our, our corporate friends who are, had a chance to be a part of that with us there last night there too. So fun night with the Atlanta Braves. And what a show this Braves team is putting on right now. Five more home runs last night. Uh, defensive web gym type stuff all over the place. So fun night with the uh, folks from 7-6 Apparel. Uh, Dog Nation there at the Atlanta Braves game last night. So we'll give a golden shoe all around there on that. Now, lousy, stinking Gators. They don't want to talk about baseball right now because uh, they just get embarrassed in the uh, finale of the College World Series. So we'll talk about football instead. How about 122 days from right now? Uh, Georgia also kicking them around in football here, too. We believe that's going to happen. That is our Gator Hitter Countdown. We will see all of you back here tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. We will look forward to talking to you then.